We find ourselves in a transitional season here at Grace as we try to adapt our ministry to meet the needs of a changing world. As much as we know that change is inevitable and necessary and even sometimes often desirable, it's never easy. And it always comes with the same sense of, of loss and grief, and we've been feeling the effects of that this year as a congregation. So today, I'd like to, for a few moments, speak into both the challenges and the opportunities uh, that, that our church is facing, that the church at large in America is facing these days. So if you happen to be a guest today, maybe you're here checking out Grace Chapel, maybe you're here to see someone get baptized, uh, which we'll be doing in a few moments on some of our campuses, you're getting a little peek behind the curtain today into local church life. We don't often do this on a Sunday morning like this, but this happens to be an important moment in the life of our church. It's an important day. We have our annual meeting after services today. But I think even beyond that, it's an important moment as we think not just about the year to come, but the years to come and the kind of church that God would have us to be in the days to come. So this Sunday, next Sunday, I'm going to be speaking as honestly and directly, as personally as I dare to do on a Sunday. Because I think it's just that important right now. What did Jesus have in mind when he started this thing called the church? What does it mean to be the church and to belong to the church at this particular time in human history? What might God want to do in and through the church at large and our church in particular in the days to come? So whether you're new to Grace Chapel or you've been around a long time, I hope you'll lean in these next couple of Sundays. And if you know someone who's struggling with church these days or even with Grace Chapel these days, encourage them to lean in as well. So do I have your attention? Yeah. Like many churches across our country, we are feeling the effects of changing attendance patterns and giving habits among American people. We are competing with people's overloaded schedules and a variety of Sunday morning opportunities. We are sensing the suspicion that many people have these days towards religion in general and towards the church in particular. And like many churches, we're finding it harder than ever to engage younger generations of Americans. And on top of all of that, this transitional season here at Grace has put great stress on our church family. Pastors and elders have had to make hard decisions about people and ministries that we love. The congregation has had to sit through a season of, 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 of uncertainty and transition, not always knowing what was happening and what was coming next. And, and I recognize and will acknowledge that as leaders, we have not always communicated or engaged the congregation as well as we might have these past few months. And that's increased the distress, and I truly am sorry about that. So it would be easy right now to be discouraged, to lose heart, to wonder if church is worth it, if the church is going to make it. Now, most of you know, I'm a pretty positive guy. The only guy who's more positive than me may be Richard Rhodes, but other than that, 
I'm a pretty positive guy. But as I shared with staff recently, there have been times this year that I've felt just weary and sad and uncertain about what to do next. But there's one thing I'm not. I am not discouraged. I have not lost heart. I still believe in this thing called church. And today I'd like to tell you why. So it turns out that today is Pentecost Sunday, a day that we sometimes, maybe erroneously, but refer to as the birthday of the church. And so we're going to spend these next two Sundays taking a look at what happened back there on that day called Pentecost and try to figure out what Jesus had in mind when he started this thing called the church. The story is found in the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 these next couple of weeks. So why don't we just read our way through this story a little bit, back and forth, the way we've been doing. I'll offer some observations along the way. And as we do, I want to share with you at least three reasons I still believe in the church. By the time we're done, I hope you will too. So I'll read first, then you can respond with uh, the yellow print from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. And that's what I call an exciting morning at church. I mean, if we had this kind of thing happening, we might not have attendance problems, all right? What exactly is going on here? Well, it's been about 50 days since Jesus rose from the dead, and the disciples have been doing what Jesus told them to do, basically wait and pray for what was next. And so that's what they were doing on this particular day called Pentecost, which was already a holy day on the Jewish calendar. Jesus had told them that he would send his spirit to be with them. But I don't think they expected what was happening that particular day. Not only was the room filled with what, what felt like a hurricane and what looked like dancing flames of fire, but they began to speak in languages they had never learned. And the sight and sound of it was so spectacular that it spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem, streets that were already crowded with Jewish believers and seekers who had come into the city for the holy day. Think downtown Boston on Marathon Monday, and you kind of get the idea of what was happening in Jerusalem. And these pilgrims who'd come from all over the known world couldn't believe what they were seeing and hearing, the wonders of God spoken in their native languages. They didn't know what to make of it. Scripture says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. You know, as I was reading this account, it occurred to me that some of you may be feeling the same way this morning. I mean, here you are in a gathering full of people enthusiastically entering into something called worship. We're singing songs and talking to God out loud in public. We're reading selections from an ancient book. We're reaching into our pockets and giving away hard-earned money and listening to some skinny dude give a glorified TED talk. 
And if that's not unusual enough, in a few minutes on a few of our campuses, we're going to be dunking fully clothed people underwater in front of a whole crowd of people. Now, it's not quite a hurricane and flames of fire, but it's pretty unusual. And so it occurred to me that you could find the whole thing very curious. And like somewhere in the crowd that day, you might be saying, what does this mean? Or maybe like someone in the crowd, you're feeling a bit more cynical. What's gotten into these people? Have they had too much coffee? (laughs) Have they checked their brains at the door? In fact, I suspect that even those of us who've been doing this for a long time, every once in a while stop and say, what does this all mean, really? Why are we here? Is it true? Is it real? People are questioning faith and questioning church like never before in our country, never before in my lifetime anyway. So how do we make sense out of all this, out of what happened on the day of Pentecost and out of what's happening right here in this room and in rooms like this all across the country? Can we really believe in this thing called the church? I believe we can. Let's keep reading and I'll show you why. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and said, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is for you. Go ahead. So in that moment, with a crowd full of people standing there wide-eyed, Peter decides to preach. And like many preachers to follow, he starts with a little joke. These people aren't drunk. The bars aren't even open yet. And then he goes on to tell them that God is doing a new thing. It is a new era in human history. Instead of the Holy Spirit of God falling on a few select people every once in a while, the Spirit of God is now going to be available to all people all of the time. Men and women, young and old, religious and irreligious. From now on, Peter says, God is going to relate to people on a personal basis. He's going to be with them and in them and for them in all kinds of powerful ways, ways that change them, ways that change the world. And friends, the same spirit we read about in Acts chapter 2 is available to us today. We are still living in this era of the spirit that Peter's describing. The spirit of God is on the loose in the world and in the church, changing hearts and changing the world. So that's one of the reasons I still believe in the church, because I believe in the power of the Spirit, a power that's often unleashed in the gathering of God's people. Now, some of you have heard me tell the story too many times before, but as a freshman in high school, 
the Holy Spirit fell on our sleepy suburban youth group and woke us up to the power of God. We were awoke before awoke was a thing. (laughs) There weren't dancing flames of fire, but the Spirit of God set us on fire with love for God and for each other and for our friends who didn't know Christ yet. And that youth group became a force for God in our church and in our community. That's when God took hold of my life and took hold of many other lives as well. And ever since that experience, in in, in every day of my life, in every church I've served, I've prayed, Lord, do that again. Pour out your spirit like that again. I prayed it this morning before we all gathered here today. Now, I know, we all know, you can't make things like this happen. You can't engineer revival. But we create spaces for this to happen when we do what the early church was doing, when we gather together to pray and worship and open the scriptures. Like we do every Sunday when we come together in places like these. And like we do when we gather in smaller groups during the course of a week. We had a great night of worship last night right here in this place. We had worship leaders from all of our campuses come together. We sang a song about the Holy Spirit, and the words went like this. When you come in the room, when you do what only you can do, it changes us. It changes what we see and what we seek. It changes everything. So as we look to the future, our vision is to create environments in which The Spirit can show up in these kinds of ways. And the two environments we're focusing on are Sundays and groups. Sundays, when we gather in larger groups across our campuses for worship and teaching to encounter God. And then when we gather throughout the course of a week in smaller groups around a passage of Scripture to encourage and pray for and encourage and teach each other as we follow Jesus. We want to consistently create spaces in which the Holy Spirit can do what only the Spirit can do, change hearts and change the world. So I believe in the church because I believe in the power of the Spirit and in my experience, the Spirit is most often and powerfully unleashed when communities of people are gathered together for worship and scripture and prayer. I also believe in the church because I believe in the power of the gospel. Let's listen to a little bit more of Peter's sermon. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So when we talk about the gospel, we're simply talking about the good news of Jesus. 
not that Jesus we're comfortable with. Jesus, the good teacher. Jesus, the spiritual guide. Jesus, the social reformer. This Jesus, Peter says, this historical Jesus who lived the most beautiful life that's ever been lived. This crucified Jesus who took on himself all the world's suffering and all the world's evil and put it to death there on the cross, broke its power over us. This risen Jesus who lives today and invites us to follow him into new and eternal life. This Jesus. And this Jesus captured my heart as a child. And I have been following him ever since. He has forgiven me. He has inspired me. He's challenged me. He's humbled me. He's surprised me. He's shaping me. And that happened to me in the church. My relationship with Jesus, I discovered in church, it was birthed there. It was nurtured by the church family, by adults, young adults, older adults, who invested in me, who prayed for me, who walked alongside me and encouraged me. Sunday school and vacation Bible school and choir and youth group and service projects and worship services, all of it. I believe in the church because it is the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to each other and to the world. The world needs this Jesus, this Jesus who forgives and heals and sets free and makes whole, this Jesus who one day will return and put all things right. For thousands of years, the church has proclaimed faith, Faith in Jesus, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. This is the Jesus that we are all about as we look to the future. Worshiping him, following him, proclaiming him in word and deed, and doing it together. It's all about Jesus. So that leads to a third reason, I believe, in the church. And there's lots more, but we only have time for three. I believe in the power of the Spirit. I believe in the power of the gospel. And thirdly, I believe in the power of community. Let's read the last, let's read the conclusion of Peter's sermon. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is a preacher's dream, <laughs> right? I mean, he comes to the end of the sermon, and the people are on the edge of their seat, ready to respond. And we're not talking about every head bowed, every eye closed, slipped a hand up like this. No, we're talking people standing up in their seats and saying, preacher, what do I have to do to get what you're talking about? Peter tells them to do two things. Repent and be baptized. Now to repent is simply to turn around. It's to change your mind. He's telling them to change their mind about Jesus, to change their mind about the way they've been living. And, and baptism, baptism was just about belief. 
In baptism, a person is lowered under the water, symbolizing their complete acceptance, their complete immersion into the person and work of Jesus. And then they're lifted up out of that water to symbolize their beginning to a new way of being and a new way of living. So, So when Peter says, repent and be baptized, he's not giving us two more religious hoops to jump through. He's not giving us two more boxes to check. He's simply saying, turn to Jesus and trust him with your whole life. Trust him to forgive you and trust him to lead you into new and better life. And that's what the folks being baptized on a few of our campuses today will be doing. There's a a couple dozen of them being baptized today. They'll be publicly declaring their faith in Christ, leaving behind an old way of being and living life without God and looking forward to a new way of being and living life with God. Now, some of them made that decision a long time ago. Some of them have just made it recently, but today they're going to declare it publicly. And you can read their stories uh, on, on the Grace Chapel website or on the Grace Chapel app. There are some inspiring stories there. But here's the thing. Baptism isn't just about identifying with Jesus. It's about identifying with Jesus' people. Baptism was a rite of initiation in a variety of religious traditions. And, and now it's brought into the Christian community. So when a person is baptized, They're not only baptized into Christ, they're baptized into his people, welcomed into his church, the community. And I believe in the power of that community. We were never meant to follow Christ on our own, not even with a few family members and friends. We were meant to follow Christ in a community of diverse people, of every age, of every walk of life, of every ethnicity, of every socioeconomic status, of every religious background, because it's in that community of people and the diversity and the interconnectedness that we find that transformation happens, that we are changed and that the world is changed. That's why we're so committed to being a multicultural, intergenerational church as we look to the future. You can be sure we are not interested in just drawing a crowd, trying to fill rooms on Sundays. We're interested in building a community of people seeking and following Jesus, engaging them on Sundays and in groups and in service to each other in the world. So all in all, looks like a pretty good day at church, right? Inspiring worship, powerful preaching, bunch of new members. But Peter is still not satisfied. He wants more. Look at his final line. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He wants everyone to find what he has found in Christ and his church. And that's why I'm so excited about this vision that God's put on our hearts. It's a vision, first of all, for you. For every one of you hearing my voice today, every one of you who are a part of the Grace Chapel community recently or for a long, long time, this is for you. I want you to experience fully power of the spirit and the beauty of the gospel and the transformation that comes with community. 
understand as, as I write my messages each week, as I pray for this congregation, as, as I and the elders and leaders think about where God's leading us next, we're thinking about you and about you experiencing fully life with Christ, life with God. But notice that wasn't all that Peter wanted. He also said, this promise is for your children. Isn't it interesting? From the very founding day of the church, they're thinking about the next generation. Now, they didn't have kids town and student ministry, but they understood the church was always one generation away from extinction. And that's also what our vision is about. It's about our children and our children's children. Can, can I pause and ask you to think about something for a minute? Think about the children in your life. I don't just mean little kids. Think about your sons and daughters, whether they're children or adults. Your nieces, your nephews. Think about the, the younger people that you care about in life. Think about them for a moment. And let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, but answer honestly. How many of them are actively engaged with Christ and his church? Think about the children you know, children, teenagers, young adults. Are they following Jesus? Are they actively involved in the life of the church? If they are, then that makes you happier than anything else they could be doing in life, right? And if they're not, it's your number one prayer request. Don't you pray that there's a church somewhere near your children that's intentional about engaging them at whatever stage of life they are in. Friends, we want to be that church for whatever children, teenagers, young adults, young families might happen to be here in our communities. They're telling us that if Generation Z, those who are 18 and younger, if they disengage from church at the same rate millennials seem to be disengaging with church, we could see 45 million people walk away from the church in the next 20 years. Friends, we can't let that happen, not on our watch. And we know most, the vast majority of people will come to faith in Christ before they're 18 years old. This is our mission. I grew up, as you know, at a church that valued kids. You're tired of hearing me talk about it. But they believed in us. They invested in us. Now, this church did everything else well, too. They had great worship and great discipleship and a powerful missions program. But, but they, they loved their kids. And, and, and everything else just flourished as a result of that. I'm following Jesus today. I'm in the ministry today because of that church. And my whole life has been devoted to helping create communities like that. So this, this is for you. This is for your children. And then Peter says, this is for those who are far off. He's talking about people who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus. This thing called the church was too good to keep to themselves. They had to invite others in. I just noticed today, just the, as I read this over again this morning, I just noticed the very first move of the church was outward. The moment something great was happening in the room, they said, we got to get out there and share it with other people because this is too good just for us. This is for everybody. They wanted everybody they knew, everybody in the world 
to find their way here. And that's what this vision is about. A recent survey identified the 10 most post-Christian cities in America. Seven of the 10 were New England cities. Number four was Greater Boston. This vision is for them. It's for your friends, it's for your neighbors, it's for your coworkers who have yet to discover life with God for the good of the world. Don't you want that for them? So for these reasons more, I believe in the church. And friends, we have a great church here. I love this church. I love all of you. I thank God for it every single day of my life that I get to serve and lead a great church like this. Friends, it's too good to keep to ourselves. This is for others as well. We want to share it with the world. It's not just for us. It's for our children and our children's children. It's for our friends and neighbors and coworkers. It's for the people of greater Boston. It's for all whom the Lord our God will call. Think about it. The church is the one place on earth where anybody and everybody can find true belonging in Christ. My prayer is that that's what we will be about in the year and years to come. For God's glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world that Jesus loves. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to think out loud with my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, with all of us who've come together today to invite you to speak into our lives and into our community and into our world. Thank you for what you did on that day of Pentecost. Thank you for sending your spirit into the world and into this place today to lead us into life more full, more abundant, more satisfying, more meaningful than we could possibly imagine the life that you invite us to share with the world around us. We thank you for it. Pray that you might make us good stewards of it and pray that we would follow your leading in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.